Our purpose is people. Northern Light is supported by the Adirondack Explorer Magazine and Adirondack Almanac, providing regional news and commentary, also available online at adirondackexplorer.org and adirondackalmanac.com. And by Croton's Golf Resort, a regional destination for golf, dining, and lodging in the southern Adirondacks. Details at crononsgolfresort.com. This is North Country Public Radio. It's Thursday, June 10th, and you're listening to Northern Light. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Towns in St. Lawrence and Jefferson counties are among those with the lowest vaccination rates in the state. Now they're hoping pop-up clinics will encourage people to get vaccinated. Here's news from North Country Public Radio. Today is the last day of New York's legislative session, and state lawmakers want to stop the spread of invasive species like zebra mussels and milfoil uh, into sensitive waterways across the North Country. Ryan Fenderty reports on why the invaders pose such a problem. It's a sweltering early summer day on the New York side of Lake Champlain. The chance to cool off in the still chilly water has drawn a procession of boaters and kayakers to the Peru boat ramp south of Plattsburgh. But before anyone can drop a boat trailer in the water, they're stopped by Nolan Reesh. Does it stay on uh, Lake Champlain mostly? Yeah, it's his only lake seen, so. Oh, okay. And uh, in between launches, do you need anything to prevent invasive species? Like, will you pull grasses off that you see or just check it out for, like, zebra mussels or anything like that? The recent SUNY Potsdam graduate is working as a watershed steward, inspecting boats to see if they're unwittingly carrying harmful plants or animals into Lake Champlain. Well, we look a lot for uh, zebra mussels. Those are pretty bad in this lake. And uh, a few different species of milfoil, uh, Eurasian milfoil and a variable leaf milfoil. It's definitely not uncommon to see stuff. Reesh carefully peers at the underside of each boat, paying special attention to the space in between the hull and the trailer pads. We'll look right down here, because uh-huh. a lot of stuff uh, gets pinched up like between the boat and the trailer. Just when they're pulling it out of the water right at the end. Yep, definitely. A network of more than 30 boat inspection stations rings the Adirondack Park, operated in partnerships between the State Department of Environmental Conservation and nonprofit groups like the Adirondack Watershed Initiative. The checks are free and include access to a power washing station in the event any unwanted stowaways are found. Meg Modley with the Vermont-based Lake Champlain Basin Initiative says inspections like these are the cheapest and most effective way to prevent the spread of invasives. We like to say that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Once these organisms become established in a water body like Lake Champlain, they're nearly impossible to manage. We just need to contain them and prevent their spread to inland waters. When a non-native species is introduced to a new environment, there often aren't any natural predators to control it. That can mean runaway population growth and a destabilized ecosystem. And Modley says boats coming into the lake from somewhere else are the main source of the problem. Our primary concerns are mostly movement through the canal waves and overland transport on boats and trailers. Despite that risk, the New York law requiring boat owners to clean and inspect their vessels before launching expired this month. That's not just a problem for Lake Champlain. We see thousands of boats coming into the Adirondacks every year with contamination on them. 
John Sheehan is with the Adirondack Council. He says every year more Adirondack lakes are exposed to non-native organisms. That has environmental but also economic consequences for a region heavily reliant on tourism. Especially the Asian clams and, and zebra mussels leave behind very sharp shells. You go from having a beautiful lake shore with a nice sandy beach to a place where you've got to wear shoes to go swimming. That can make a big difference in the recreational attraction of the lake. The good news is that 75% of Adirondack lakes are still in pristine condition, according to the Adirondack Watershed Initiative. And John Sheehan says where boat inspections are mandatory, the introduction of new invasives drops to a negligible level. So the Adirondack Council is pushing not just for the boat inspection law to be renewed, but for protections to be made permanent. And there are signs from Albany they'll get their wish. The science has proven out, you know, we need to act. Matt Simpson represents Brant Lake in the state assembly. State lawmakers passed a measure in the final week of the legislative session to make the boat inspection requirement permanent. Simpson called the proposal a much stronger law. It's going to reinforce the need to have your boat inspected, clean, drained, and dry. If signed by Governor Andrew Cuomo, DEC officers will have clear authority to enforce rules and set up additional inspection stations up to 10 miles outside the Adirondack Park boundary. It also means watershed stewards like Nolan Reesh will become a long-term part of Adirondack waters. Back at the Peru boat launch, he's keeping busy, even on a weekday. On a recent weekend, the Peru station inspected 48 boats in a single day. Each one of them has the potential to spread unwanted pests to the untouched waters across the Adirondacks. Ryan Finnerty, North Country Public Radio in Peru. There are several other issues going on in the end of the legislative session, including criminal justice reforms, which have been a big issue for the past two years at the end of the session. The legislature is voting today on the clean slate measure. It would seal the criminal records of those convicted of misdemeanors and many felonies, but the records would not be expunged. Karen DeWitt reports criminal justice advocates have been rallying, urging lawmakers to pass that and other reforms. At a rally outside the Capitol on Tuesday, Senate sponsor Zelnor Myrie said the bill will mean a chance at redemption for those convicted of crimes who served their time. In practice, we have a system of perpetual punishment. People sentenced to life when they have not been sentenced to life. So we are not going to tolerate that anymore in the great state of New York. That's right. We are going to give our people a second chance because if you have paid your dues, you deserve a second chance. Republicans who are in the minority in the legislature object to the measure, saying it goes too far. Senate Republican leader Rob Ort says GOP lawmakers might support a more limited ceiling of criminal records. We were talking about very specific crimes, nonviolent crimes, you know, first offender type crimes. I think many of my, I can't speak for all of them, I can speak for myself. That's something that I could consider. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about all crimes. 
The Catholic Church is also objecting to portions of the bill, saying it would leave employers who work with children or vulnerable adults unable to adequately assess whether someone who wants to work or volunteer in one of their programs can safely be around children. In a bill memo, the church says the sexual abuse scandals that have rocked the institution has led all Catholic-based services to require a criminal background check for potential employees. Two other measures to change the state's parole laws were stalled. The elder parole bill would allow all inmates over the age of 55 who've served at least 15 years of their sentence to be automatically eligible for a parole hearing. Another would require the parole board to take into consideration attempts made by an inmate to rehabilitate themselves before looking at the seriousness of the crime that they committed. Both houses did agree on a bill to ban so-called ghost guns by closing a loophole that allowed access to the components needed to build an AR-15 without having to go through a background check or register the weapon. The bills that are approved in the final hours of the session will go to Governor Cuomo for his signature. Cuomo has not said whether he will support the bills. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 8.15. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandoreski. Just ahead on Natural Selections. Well, since animals don't accessorize, they need to find other ways to carry around what they need. We're looking at critter carryalls in just a few minutes on Natural Selections right here on Northern Light. North Country Public Radio's fiscal year wraps up at the end of this month. Support all the programs you enjoy, especially the ones that you get only here with a gift of at ncpr.org slash give. And thank you so much. This is music by Canton composer Christopher Watts. Northern Light is supported by Renew Architecture and Design, designing camps, custom homes, and more throughout NCPR's listening region. Details at renewarchitecture.com. And by Gray and & Gray and & Associates, CPAs, a proactive accounting and financial services firm in northern New York with offices in Canton and Messina. GrayCPAS.com. President Joe Biden is making an all-out push to get the national COVID-19 vaccination rate to 70% before the 4th of July. Governor Cuomo says once New York hits that level, he'll end most all pandemic restrictions. Health officials are focusing on the places with the lowest vaccination rates now in the state, including several in the North Country. David Summerstein reports. About 60% of people 18 and over in the North Country have at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. But in some towns, the rates are much lower. For example, Lafargeville in Jefferson County has one of the lower rates in the state at 34.1%. We'll do a deep dive into that zip code and we'll find out, you know, if we can have some success out there. We will mobilize um, a clinic out that way. 
Jefferson County Legislative Chairman Scott Gray says a pop-up vaccine clinic reduces the obstacles to people getting a shot, driving long distance, finding transportation, and just the hassle. You know, they kind of had a meh attitude towards it, you know, kind of an ambivalent attitude, and it's there. They will, you know, they don't have to go out of their way to get it done. So they get, they get vaccinated. But some North Country towns were even lower than Lafargeville. Pirates, Raymondville, Briar Hill, Rensselaer Falls, and Richville in St. Lawrence County were all at 30% or under. So was Paul Smith's in Franklin County and Constableville in Lewis County. A recent study by Jefferson Community College and Syracuse University found vaccine hesitancy may be an issue. It found a quarter of North Country adults are reluctant to get the shot. Then there's the case of Evans Mills in Jefferson County with a vaccination rate of 30.6 percent. That's really an outlier, says Scott Gray, because it's the Fort Drum area and soldiers and families getting vaccinated on post aren't counted in state data, but rather by the Federal Department of Defense. Uh, What DOD? It's just very simple. Other North Country communities with low vaccination rates include Ellenburg in Clinton County and Port Leiden in Casterland in Lewis County. Scott Gray says 18 to 49-year-olds remain the hardest to convince to get a vaccine. And his message is... Very, in very simple terms, the vaccine works. People want their normal life back and... This is the way to achieve that. If these low-rate areas can pick up their numbers, they can help the state get to 70% and an end to the coronavirus rules that disrupted normal life for so long. David Summerstein, North Country Public Radio. The University of Vermont announced it will require students to get vaccinated. The mandate will take effect once the Federal Food and Drug Administration grants full regulatory approval to at least one of the available vaccines. The FDA has currently issued emergency authorization to shots from three manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Pfizer applied for full approval in early May. Moderna filed for the same endorsement last week. If full approval is granted to either, UVM students returning to campus for the fall 2021 semester will have to show proof of vaccination from any of three vaccines under emergency authorization. Faculty and staff however, will not be required to get vaccinated, but a spokesperson said the university will encourage them to do so. Similar vaccine rules are in place for the SUNY system, St. Lawrence University, and Clarkson University. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute on Natural Selections, ways that animals are able to carry things, pouches and cheeks, etc. After that, stick around for Bird Note, the baddest birds on the block. But first, let's look at the weather. Right now, it's 57 degrees in Lowville and St. Regis Falls, 55 in Lake Clear, 61 degrees already in Scroon Lake. We can expect sunny skies today with highs between 70 and 80 for much of the region. Cloudier tomorrow and cooler out with highs in the 60s. Should be beautiful though on Saturday with sunny skies and highs in the 70s expected and maybe some thunderstorms and rain as we head uh, further into next week. Do animals have ways to carry things? They don't have pockets. They can't wear pants, you know, not wearing cargo pants. 
Um, but chipmunks carry nuts. Um, kangaroos carry babies. Is it common for like an animal to have kind of a pocket kind of a substitute, function-wise? Yeah, if you if you don't call it a pocket, and then you just start thinking a little open-mindedly, you realize oh, a lot of them do find interesting ways to carry. So, like you said, you know, marsupials like a kangaroo, <laughs> pretty or a possum. In fact, they're called marsupials because marsupium means a pouch. Mm. So that that makes sense. Um, honeybees have a kind of a sack in their throat, you could say. It's called a crop, and they'll carry nectar in that and then drop it off back at the hive. And they have little baskets on their legs they can stuff with pollen and things like that. They're pretty easy to see. That's pretty cool when you yeah. see that. I mean, it's like you call them baskets. Yeah. And, uh, so um, you could have uh, you know other kinds of things like birds. You know, pelicans have that big flap of skin on the bottom of their bill, and they can carry fish and things mm-hmm. in there. But a lot of birds... Well, like blue jays and things you might see at your feeder have that crop also in their throat. Like the turkeys do, right? They I mean, can just stuff it full of food right. like a bag in their throat that then will go down to the next level in their digestive system called the gizzard. That's a muscular bag that's full of pebbles and it grinds it up as if it were chewing the food and then it goes down to their digestion areas. Amazing. Amazing. We had a wild turkey once. Someone had shot, and it, it gave us, and its crop was still full of, of food. Yeah, you when can we, tell what they've been eating. Yeah, from that, yeah. well, corn was yeah for sure. Yeah. Been out in the cornfields. Huh. Interesting. There's some animals that were surprising. I I was interested in this topic just recently again because one of my students at Paul Smith's College had traveled to China, and she showed me a little video of herself on her phone feeding these macaque monkeys. Mm-hmm. some nuts and fruits and they were stuffing them into their mouth one after another and their whole throat and face were puffing up. So you think it was a pocket or There's the throat? There's a pocket or? that they have huh. kind of like a, a crop kind of thing or cheek pouches that they can carry. Well, we things. spent a lot of time watching chipmunks because we have a bird feeder and we had t- two chipmunks coming and they had different overlapping territories. They were really fun to watch and they could put so much, so many sunflower seeds in their cheeks, it was unbelievable. I, you know, and they were like, I don't know, big. stretchy grocery bags. Stretchy grocery bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, people have measured how much they can carry. It's it's amazing. It's uh, well, one source was saying they they measured uh, thirty one corn kernels. I bet one of them, and, and back and forth, and back and forth, back and forth. down the hole, up the hole, yeah. check for the cat. Up in the bird feeder, down the hole yeah. again. Yeah. Another one had uh, seventy sunflower seeds in one, and things like that. I mean, they're it's like basically doubling the size of their head when they do that. We had uh, one chipmunk that would try. He had one hole that he, if he loaded up too much, he couldn't get down the hole. So he would be <laughs> turning his head this way and that way, and then he'd go find another way to get down to his burrow. That's yeah. Neat. Well, they have to store food for the winter. They don't truly hibernate so they'll wake up in their little burrows underground and they'll need snacks Mm -hmm. and then there are other times a year when it's tough for them in the early spring Mm -hmm. they're not a lot of nuts and a lot of the other vegetation's not really out so early spring they need that stored food and then oddly enough in midsummer they don't necessarily come out as much either Um, some people think maybe because it was hot or something but also because it's not quite nut nut season yet Mm -hmm. And um, also there are bot flies that lay their egg on their skin and the grub lives and it makes a big, horrible growth on their skin. So they, they avoid being found out by the flies too sometimes by hiding. So it helps to have that food stored in, away stored away, and uh, 
sometimes they'll they'll have like a main horde and then little scatter hordes elsewhere. We could talk all day about chipmunks. Yeah. I've been watching chipmunks a lot. <laughs> Thanks very much, Dr. Kurt Steger of Paul Smith College. I'm Martha Foley at St. Lawrence University. Natural Selections is produced by North Country Public Radio with natural sounds by Ted Mack. The program is underwritten by Paul Smith's The College of the Adirondacks, 800-421-2605. Broadcast of Natural Selections here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Glenn and Carol Pearsall Adirondack Foundation, now accepting grant applications from North Country not-for-profits until August 31st, pearsallfoundation.org. And the Adirondack Park Pet Hospital, Saranac Lake, open Monday through Saturday for medical appointments, surgery, or diagnostic workups over your canine or feline family members. Well, we've got a special message for all you Jeep owners out there. Today is the last day to register for next weekend's Jeep Invasion through the Lake George Chamber of Commerce. It's a weekend of off-roading and cruise nights. And for those of you who don't know, Amanda Metzger with the Chamber says Jeep ownership is a whole culture. It's got sort of a car show meets wilderness kind of vibe. And so far, 300 Jeep owners have signed up for the show and shine event from the region are signed up for the invasion. So you'll see all sorts of beautiful Jeeps, all types, different makes and models, different years. And, you know, they're all competing like, you know, like a car show. So we're just really excited to see what this looks like to have that many Jeeps in one place in our area. And it's open to a variety of Jeeps. Whether you got a mall crawler or a mud bogger, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Do you have a Jeep? <laughs> oh, yeah. And my dad, over the years, has had many Jeeps put all sorts of crazy mods to have them drive up like crazy, sometimes almost vertical <laughs> inclines. And I don't think I realized that jeeps were that it was such a culture there definitely is because it it's a culture of adventure you know getting off road onto a trail discovering things that you can't discover in just any vehicle and you find some really cool things out in the woods like ruins of a building i can remember looking at like a stone foundation of a building and like the chimney was still there and then you start to like put together the story of like, what was this, you know? And then there's also the nature aspect of it, like just being able to go out to a place where there's there's less people who have seen it, it's less explored. It's a really special experience to just get out there and be in nature, you know? Like it allows you, I think, to go farther in to some places that you wouldn't necessarily want to hike. And I personally have a Jeep Renegade. Do you like it? That I adore. Yes. (laughs) I adore it. I love it. (laughs) Do you remember what it was like when you first got your Jeep Renegade? Oh, (laughs) yes. It's adorable. (laughs) It's the cute one. It's like the Wrangler's little brother. It is beautiful. The Trailhawk version has like a 
rock climbing setting. I love it. I actually, I do have a leave no trace policy in it. <laughs> so if you bring garbage in, you bring it out. <laughs> That's what I tell everyone. <laughs> but the outside of it can get dirty. <laughs> it better get dirty, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is a great family event, which is why we were so excited to bring it here because we're a family-friendly destination. But it also brings together the wider Jeep family. You know, like everybody who has a Jeep is part of the Jeep family. You know, like you, have you heard of the Jeep wave? The Jeep wave? Yes, there's a special <laughs> wave. Jeep owners, when they drive by each other, it's particular to Wranglers, but in my opinion, any Jeep owner can wave. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of peace sign waves. <laughs> it's like peace sign over your steering wheel. It's more of just an acknowledgement of like, hey, you're part of the Jeep family too. Good to see you out here. <laughs> That was Amanda Metzger with the Lake George Visitors Bureau. The Jeep Invasion is next weekend, June 18th through the 20th, but you must register by today to enter your Jeep in the show and shine. That's at adkjpinvasion.com. Attendees will stay at the Thousand Acres Ranch Resort where they can also go horseback riding or hop on a trail to go off-roading in their Jeep, or you can show up and just enjoy the weekend. It's 8.31, and bird note coming up in just a a moment. I do want to remind you, uh, Adirondack Stage Rats uh, presents the very timely comedy lifespan of a fact. There are performances starting Wednesday, June 30th, uh, then Thursday, July 1st, Friday, July 2nd, and then uh, July 6th, 7th, and 8th. All shows start at 6 in the evening, and there are some musts. Social distancing and face, ba- face masks are musts. Seating is limited, and outside you must bring a lawn chair, and you must email adkstagerats at gmail.com for reservations. Reservations are required, another must. So it's all <laughs> happening at Moody Pond in Saranac Lake. Uh, again, it's Adirondack Stage Rats, the comedy lifespan of a fact, and you need to make reservations via email, adkstagerats at gmail.com. 8.32 is the time, and Bird Note is next. This is Bird Note. Some predatory birds stand out sharply from the rest. Informally, They rate among the baddest birds on the block. Up first, the northern goshawk. In a northern forest, a silver blur rockets toward an unsuspecting grouse, followed quickly by an explosion of feathers as the hawk strikes. The northern goshawk is so fast and fierce... No wonder Attila the Hun wore its image on his helmet. For the next of our bird baddies, its deadly slithering prey makes its reputation. The brown snake eagle, which has a surprisingly quiet cry, soars over the savannas, plains, and semi-desert regions of sub-Saharan Africa. Grabbing a cobra from the ground, It quickly tears off the venomous head mid-flight, then swallows the entire six-foot snake, a quick and tidy end for a deadly reptile. 
One of the world's largest owls rounds out our baddest list. The Eurasian eagle owl. This handsome, tawny predator lives in rocky habitats as well as forest, where it preys on hares, foxes, even animals as large as deer fawns. A supreme hunter that reigns across two continents. For Bird Note, I'm Michael Stein. 834, you're listening to Northern Light. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandraski. We are wrapping up the show for the day. Morning Edition continues in just a minute right here on North Country 